on, Spider. <laughs> I'm on. Yeah, it's all about Herbie. Give him the rod. Give him the rod. <laughs> oh, this will be interesting. Well, Herb, what got you into fishing? What? When did you start? What was your evolution of fishing to now? I think this is one of the best questions. We've asked a lot of people, this spider. Uh, I started fishing at a very young age, probably around three or four. I was uh, young. I remember the old man. He had a boat, probably called the Olympic Flame. Only came out once every four years. But uh, I could never... <laughs> I could... I could it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, had, it had the original ties on it from 1976. And I think they were still on it till the day they, it went to Melbourne. Anyway... When the old man got that boat out, that day to me was so special. I just couldn't wait to get the boat in the water, get in the boat and head up somewhere, catch some yabbies and go fishing as a now, kid. was your old man, was he a fisherman? You had brothers as well. Were they fishermen or not? Yeah, so my old man was a fisherman. Uh, he grew up on the Narang River back in the 50s. On the Gold Coast? On the Gold Coast, uh, yeah. Grew up in, in Narang in the main street. And he was uh, in a couple of fishing clubs, and and back then they would cut the cane off and make their own rods. Wow! Because they didn't have yeah. the money or the fishing tackle shops like they did today. Uh, he'd hire a rowboat and row out in the middle of the broad border and catch fish or the Narang River, wherever that may be. And he'd catch whiting, brim, and flathead, and and jew, and and whatever he could get. And I, I remember them stories like they're in my like I was there. You was know? was the fishing a lot better then? Oh, definitely, as you could say. Yeah, they, there was a lot more fish, but they didn't have the technology we had these days to target them fish. So were there more fish caught? No way. Were there more fish there? Yeah, definitely. But there wasn't the amount of anglers targeting or the technology that we're okay. using. So today. we've become smarter, or fish have become dumber. I don't, I don't think fish, be, <laughs> fish are hungry. They eat yeah. when they're hungry, when the time's right. But um, definitely our involvement in fishing yep. in the last 60, 70 years is gone tenfold. Yep. You, you only have to go into a fish and tackle shop and have a look at all the stuff that's on the walls. It's phenomenal. Yep. It makes your mind So bold. you jump in the boat, you head up the pin. Yeah, we'd go up the pin, we'd catch brim, whiting, flathead, and, you know, the day never ended until you went to bed. Well, it never ended until the next day, really, because you'd come home and then you'd clean the boat and you'd cook the fish, and that's just as good as catching were, the fish. Were you into that as a young kid as well? Yes. I loved eating fish. I have all my life. And, and, and that time at the dinner table talking about your day and who got the biggest and who lost that fish and, and, and whatever else. It was a bit of a rivalry between the brothers because both my brothers fish. Um, what know, about your mum? She used Mumsy. to have to make the chicken and salad sandwiches in the cabin because she wasn't touching the bait all day. She would... Uh, but so, she'd go out with you. Yeah, she'd come out and uh, she'd fish. She caught a lot of good fish too and we'd bait up her rod so she could make the chicken sandwiches so yeah. they weren't stinking with bait. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was from a kid. You know, I fished a lot with my brothers growing up and then it wasn't till I moved out of home and I bought my first boat. Now, we all know about first boats. Boat stands for bring out another thousand. I bought that boat, Spider. My first boat I've ever owned. I pushed, I backed it down the driveway. I unhooked it. I wheeled it into the garage. I loaded it up. I'm going fishing tomorrow. And then I backed the car down. Well, unbeknownst to me, I was that excited and, and drunk with anticipation. I hooked the boat back on, drove it out. The boat's hit the top of the house, ripped the console clean out of the boat. No. Yeah, so the boat I just bought, $4,800 for a little Nova with an old 55 Jono on the back. 
I'll rip the console clean out of it. First time, bam, there it is laying on the floor of the boat. I pushed it back into place, held it down with a ratchet strap and went out fishing that day anyway. Did you catch anything? No, it was a terrible day. <laughs> I think the, the, the two best days about boating is the day you buy it and the day you sell it. My Mine's totally the opposite. Uh, my worst, yeah. you know what I mean? My best days of the day I buy it, worst days of the day I buy it and the day I sell it and the best times are in between. See, I went through life just, you know, targeting Jewfish and in the estuaries, started getting into me Spanish mackerel and, and a lot of mud crab. But how and, did you learn kind of what to go for? Because you, you haven't, to, honestly, you haven't been out of Queensland. You really haven't fished out of southeast Queensland. You've been as far as Fraser. But yeah, I've been up the Cape and that. Oh, that's like, right. Yeah. yeah, so I have done a trip up the Cape and whatnot. I guess I really got stuck into catching big fish off the King. Now, the King's like my godfather. His name's Ian. Top bloke. Him and his son, Jason. They showed me the art of uh, using big baits to catch big fish and simplifying it. And he's still catching fish today, the old bloke. He's a really good fisherman. He, uh, he taught me a lot of the fundamentals of targeting big fish, where to target them big fish, how to target them big fish, uh, what to use when targeting them sort of fish. And we're talking jewfish anywhere from 10 kilo. We got them up to 50, 40 kilo. So we we're getting some big fish. Uh, once I got that, I was hooked. So ever since then, I was hooked. I went through the first boat. I bought a bigger boat. I then went on to buy another tinny. I ended up selling them. I'm now in a 4.3-metre tinny. And I've gone through the whole stages of doing me marlin fishing. So trawling, you know, big pushes yeah. for marlin, uh, trawling baits and, and, and hard bodies for mackerel in mackerel season. Uh, go through me snapper, me float lining season, trag jew, obviously jew fish in the estuary. Now I'm sort of at the point now where I've gone back to lighter fishing, so I'm doing a lot of six to eight pound lines, uh, two and a half, one thousand size reels, trawling lures for flathead. Um, I do a lot of prawning, I do a lot of crabbing. Uh, I, I keep a lot of my catch, but I throw back the right amount, you yeah. know what I mean? I try not to ever keep the bag limit. I always sacrifice one to the King Neptune, I say. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So just about, for good lucks. What about when you were growing up? You know, we spoke about when you were a younger kid, but, you know, year 10, 11, 12, or, you know, those school years, did you do a lot of fishing with your mates? Did you used to go away camping or was all bank fishing? Or Yeah, a lot of my mates never really fished. A couple of them did, but not many. There wasn't a lot of people that into it back then, I would say. Like my idea of fun, I'd ride my push bike down to the local shops. There was a creek there called Lotus Creek. We had a bridge over it. We'd walk down beside the bridge with a few loaves of a few bits of bread mum would give us and uh, we'd take a rod and a float and we'd catch brim. And I don't know what it was back then, but we'd cut a little bit of each fin off and we'd name them. And we'd <laughs> caught the same brim pretty much every week. Okay. But it was something to do. It was it was free fun and, and I enjoyed it that much. I went every week. Can you remember any of the names? Yeah, there was uh, Billy, Barry, <laughs> Graham. Uh, I think we had a, a Trevor, and uh, I think that was about it. Trevor, maybe Reginald we had. We had a few yeah, of them on there, yeah, but yeah, great. named them. There was a few big ones, a few little ones, you know, Barry the Brim and, and whatnot. But yeah, it was exciting. We'd ride down at night time and go squidding off the Grand Jetty at wintertime. 
obviously fishing seasonal. Everywhere you go in salt yeah. water, fishing is seasonal. Same with freshwater. At certain times of the year, you catch certain types of fish. So you learn off people and off the likes of people like us doing a podcast. Uh, you listen, you read, you study about these sort of things so you can go and target and put a feed on the table and enjoy yourself while you're doing it. And I think it's one of the best things for mental health that uh, I think we've had a few. We had uh, young Lockie, I think it was. T- yeah, t- yeah. You only ever think about fishing when you're fishing. Yeah. Everything else goes away. So if you're having a bit of a hard time, and, and I've been through that, you can go out and, and your mind escapes everything for that moment that you're out there just trying to have a really relaxing time and catch a few fish. So, you know, my fishing's evolved over the time. I've caught some good fish. You know, my best Jew was 56 pound or something like that, which is a reasonable size fish. Um, you know, I've caught some big snapper up around 8, 10 kilo. Never caught a barramundi in the wild, but caught some nice cold trout, caught some big cobia, big mackerel, you know, all that sort of stuff. And sometimes the little fish are the ones that get your hearts racing the most. Yeah. What about, um, you know, you're lucky enough to have a boat. I'll, if I'm going out, I'm going on a charter, but you've been on a couple of charters. Yes. And people look at it and think, Jesus, that's quite expensive for four days out at sea. But when you do the maths... It's actually not too bad. For the experience you get, it's, it's money worth paying. Exactly right. And I think I did this one year on radio with you when I was doing the weather and fishing report a few years back. I added up the amount of kilos I brought home in fish for the year, right, to pack up and eat. And then I added up all my fuel I spent on that boat, the service for the year, the rego and everything, and I think the amount of fillets I had came to around $70 to $85 a kilo. Right, so that's what I was paying to bring that fish home in looking after my boat. Yeah. So really what you're paying at the fish shop is not that bad. People look at it and go, oh, look at the price of fish these days. But the people that have to go catch them, uh, you know, they're doing the hard work for you. You're not looking after a boat. You're not paying the rego. You're not fixing it. You're not paying for bait. You're not, you know, so I, I sort of, I did that scale over a year to find out, is it worthwhile? Yeah. Now they say 10% of the fishermen catch a, uh, 90% of the fish. Uh, yeah, that could be the case, but the other 90% of the fishermen aren't really trying hard enough. They're not studying hard enough. Yeah. They're not looking at waterways. They do it for fun. That's right. Like now we can look at Google Maps and you can find rock bars and weed banks and, and, and in estuary-type water to know where to go and target, yeah. you know, of, of your species. So there's so much come into it. I mean, like I said, I've still got 10 deep pile high of fishing magazines in the toilet. I've read each one probably three times. <laughs> uh, I still read them and I keep yeah. the ones where the articles that I want to learn about that type of stuff. So I'm not a fly fisherman. I don't keep fly fishing magazines. But I always read because everyone fishes different. And this is what I've learned in fishing in, what, 40 years. <clears throat> everyone fishes different and there's no right or wrong way. If your way works, keep doing it. Show someone else. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, I'm very passionate about showing someone or getting someone hooked on to a good fish. After all, what I've caught, I'd rather see someone else's face light up when they get a good fish in the boat rather than myself catching a good fish these days. Okay, so you're happy because a lot of fishermen hate sharing their spots. Hate sharing their spots, their knowledge, you know. some And look, I can pay that if people want to be like that. I'm not too worried about it. If I find a spot out in the water that I'm only going to fish once a year, am I going to hold that to myself or am I going to tell me couple of mates, oh, i got this spot, I caught all these fish out here, you know, like I kept the heap for a feed, it was going off. 
I'd give them that spot. Yeah. But only in the hope that they go out with out the greed in it. Go out, have a lot of fun, keep what you need, let go of the rest. And if everyone worked this way, there would be a lot of fish in the future. Our bag limits are very strict, and I think that's a good thing. Sometimes I think some are too strict and some are not strict enough. So okay. there's a lot of different things that have changed. What about, um, you know, you talked about your boat. How do you have it set up? What do you have set up? What do you take? What do you make sure... You know, because it's an industry where, as you say, a lot of people do go out there for fun. They don't go out there to make money. They know no. that fishing, it's its a passion, it's a pastime, it's a hobby. Yeah. So what do you set up? How do you set your boat up or how many rigs do you take out there? Lines, what do you do? Yeah, so I try and keep a pretty simple spot. Obviously, I've had uh, three different, four different types of boats. The one I've got now is a 4.3 metre tinny. Uh, my mate calls it Swiss cheese because I put that many rod holders in it. So if I'm going out for a day flatting, <laughs> I'll take somewhere between six and nine rods Oh, geez. for flatting. Um, now, I've got my boat set up because I don't chuck plastics for flathead. I tow lures. So high tide's my prominent time. I like the high tide sweeping the banks when there's three foot of water over them. And I control six rods in an area and, and catch flathead. I'm still only allowed to keep my bag limit. Yeah, 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 people might say you got too many rods. That's illegal. Well, I can only wind one in at a time, and I can't keep any more than five flatheads. So it doesn't matter if you use fifty rods; you can still only keep the same amount of fish. Yeah, yeah. but if you're catching more fish and letting more go, you're having a funner time, aren't you? Okay, yeah. So yeah. I make it a bit exciting. Um, so each boat I've had has been set up quite different. Uh, obviously, I had an eighteen-foot cruise craft reef ranger. It was a beautiful boat. Oh, was it, it was called Jesus. It was called Jesus. It had a motor on the back. It had a picture of Jesus on it. The old Mercury man. Is and, that uh, why it was called Jesus? No, because it was a two-stroke, and every time I went to turn that key, I'd pray to Jesus that it'd start. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I thought it was when you coming through the th- coming through the bar at. Uh, remember, we were coming through. It was pretty choppy one day on the Gold Coast. Yeah, and you go just hold on and yell out to Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've had some dodgy times in that thing crossing oh, their yeah, bars. The it, 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 it kept you on. It, it was a you real, It was a really good boat. It was a good old boat, uh, and it was an old boat. It was a '79 model boat. I refitted it out with a new 150 and made it a really nice vessel. And I set that up for trawl and light game. You know, 15, uh, 10, 15, 20 kilo stand up outfits, trawling five rods for marlin and, and mackerel and down riggering and, and then when I've come to this tinny, I've set it up more for lighter stuff. So a bit more crabbing, prawning, uh, flathead fishing, dew fishing in the estuary, a little bit of snapper fishing with the electric motor outside. So every boat, and I think this is one thing, if you're going into buying a boat, you're going into the fishing world, nut out roughly three of your favourite species or what you want to target and you're passionate about. Set up your boat to custom that. Because you can. So don't get selfish and try and target everything. You'll have, like me in the races. Yes. I don't want to back every race horse on every you, race. You would if you could. Absolutely. <laughs> try and nail it down to just three. Yes. Okay. So we'll call it the trifecta. Yep. Go to your three favourite species and set your boat up for that because you can always use it to target other stuff, but you're not going to be doing it as often as what your three favourite species are. 
Yeah, yeah. If you understand what yeah. I mean. So going out flathead fishing, I'll usually take one bigger rod for Jew. If I catch a live pike or a couple, uh, I'll put them in the live tank and I'll race out to a bar and drift them down the deeper spots in the bar for a Jew. So you, you're doubling your chances. You're trying different species. But predominantly all the rest are light reels. And then I'll take me bag of tackle, which will consist of a box of pig lures, a box of hooks and swivels, uh, a few, a little thing of sinkers. I don't take too much because I try and keep the weight down. Uh, obviously, your leaders, your pliers, your bogus, your knife, everything you're going to need, your measuring The tape, esky. The esky goes in first, <laughs> straight away. Uh, and a sober driver too, if you can find one. Otherwise, you do it yourself. But you always take a, uh, a heap of um, frozen water as well? Always take water out because you never know. Whether your motor's new or old, if something goes wrong, if you hit something and your motor stops and you're out there for a bit longer and you've got to wait to get picked up, water's probably a big key. Uh, to have on the boat, you know, just to keep you hydrated because it gets pretty hot. Yeah, absolutely. And the other, the other one I wanted to just before we uh, let you go, Herb. <laughs> yep. Um, at home, how do you have all your stuff stacked? Do you like clean it? Do you make sure it's all? Do you put the maintenance in as soon as you get home? Yes. So it, it actually then keeps them for a long time. Yeah, definitely, Spider. Even when I'm out fishing, I try and keep the boat clean, so I always take a bucket to wash stuff down, bilge water out, you know, if you get a bit of blood on the floor or whatever may be, you've got something to clean up as you go. I always try and keep my tackle stowed up the front dry, never get it too wet if you can help it. Uh, my rods are all hung up on the ceiling. I made rod racks for them so that they're out the way, not on a wall, not bunched up in the corner. I rinse every rod and reel down with fresh water when I get back, loosen the drags before I store my rods away so they don't squash the drag rosses. Make sure I rinse any lure that I've had out, dry and drain it, put them back in the trays and put everything away neatly because one thing I've learned about fishing, if you make it hard for yourself, you never go. I've made it clean and tidy where everything's easy. I can pretty much go, I'm going to go fishing, go and hook me boat up, load it up with what I need to go out for a few hours of flathead fishing or whatever within 15 minutes. Okay. Yep. So as soon as I get home, everything's clean, stowed and stacked all in its places so that when I go next time, I hook up, bang, there it is, there it is, there it is. There's my rods, there's my tackle. Load it in, everything what I need in order and then I know I've gone through my steps. And if you do everything in the same spot routinely – you will bang, 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 and you're on your way fishing, and it's easy. Okay. Yep. What is – like, you've had to obviously change a whole heap of lures. You change, you think, I'm going to go from a pig lure to a more – a different colour lure, whatever you laser, whatever you're going to go yeah. to. Yeah. Hey, do you get crook when you're changing that? Yeah, sometimes offshore when I've had problems in the back bilge or something and I've had to put my head down and you're sitting there for a while, I get a bit crook. Once I'm standing up and doing my thing, I'm not too bad. But, um, yeah, seasickness can play. A, I used to get crook as a young kid yeah. and it just sort of... Didn't put you off? No, because I'm just that passionate about it. The feeling of fighting a good-sized fish that you've spent your hard-earned money on the gear, you've sourced the information, you've read books, you've studied up, you've gone to this place, you hooked the fish of a lifetime. It remains with you forever. It just never, never ends. So it is something I'm very passionate about. And like I said to a lot of people, fishing uh, is the best addiction any person can have. Rightio, last one. Go on. Top three. You can go any in the, anywhere in the world. What three fish do you want to catch? Oh, I would love to catch a big trumpeter down Tassie Way. 
Okay. I think they're good eating fish, so I'm talking quality of eating, brilliant, uh, hard fighting fish, they're deep water fish. Uh, I think that would be probably in my top three. Uh, I have caught a coral trout before. I probably my next one up on the reef would be a Maori wrasse. Now, they're protected. You're not allowed to keep them. Uh, you're still allowed to catch them, but they must be released. They're not allowed to be brought from the water. So for pictures, just leave it in the water, bring it out a bit, get your picture and let it go. One of the hardest fighting fish on the reef. They are unbelievable, the power. They're all tailed. So these things are massive. Got a massive big head on them. Uh, I think that would be in the top three. And I think number three would have to be blue marlin. These things are like the cyclones of the ocean. They have so much power. I've never caught, and I've caught blacks. I've caught a couple of small stripes. Um, These blues are next level, grow over a 1,000 pounds. And when they hit a lure and you get to experience to see that pen 80 wide absolutely tearing line off it, it is something I could imagine, which I haven't yet, but I could imagine how much your heart starts pumping when you're seeing that. And where would you be taking? That's more up towards Lizard Island? No, nah, we get blues pretty much from Sydney, even further south. Oh, okay. But out on the shelf, so out in deep, deeper water. Uh, it's finding water temperature, current lines, and you've got to put a lot of work into it, a lot of study. They find out where the current line's pushed in, so you've got two different temperatures of water that are meeting together in, say, three, 400 metres of water Jesus. in depth. And you might have a 26-degree water change to a 24. So that two degrees makes all the difference. It'll hold up the bait. The big blues will hang around that, and they will hunt in that warmer water and follow that down and up the coast. So along with your big black marlin too, obviously up up off Cairns, Lizard Island, they're the big blacks. Blues, and we do get blacks that come down this way. Blues are more deeper. They're more broader throughout the world. Obviously, blues are all throughout the world. And um, they are massive fish, and they are the brutes of the sea. I would love to see one of them. There we go. There's Herbert. Beautiful. Over. This guy, he grew up in Victoria, but now he lives in Queensland. He loves the fresh water. He's with us now. Now, I want to know, Taz, worst trip, biggest disaster, day you regret but never forget. Come on. We want to hear it. There's got to be one. Everyone's got one. Well, everyone's got one, Herb, you know, and it's probably – I don't have any too many regrets when it comes to fishing trips because I'm going to a place where I want to be. But just just last Christmas, about three weeks, two weeks before Christmas, I'd normally head up to up to Mackay and up to Prosper Pine and that chasing the barrow over that time. And yep. um, we've, I'd planned a trip up there with my son for three weeks before Christmas. So – we were going anyway. I said to him, "Look, we'll just flip up the Somerset, and um, we just put a new sander and a bit of stuff in the boat." So I wanted to give it a run and get a bit familiar with it. So we get up to Somerset and we fish for the day and put the boat back on the trailer. And as a big, as you're coming back home from Somerset, you drive around the top of the, the dam side around yep. the wall, and my bloody axle broke on my boat trailer. So, no. like, not my bearing, my actual axle. So oh. my trailer, American trailer. So nothing in Australian specs fit it. <laughs> um, it had what coat, coating over it, like a black melphoid coating, and it roughed it out from the inside out. I didn't know. Oh, so wow. he parked at five o'clock on the side of the road on a Friday afternoon. My boat trailer's in pieces, basically. And I'm like, where am I going to go with this? Anyway, I was pretty dirty on the thing because my trip was planned to go to the car the next day and blah, 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 blah. 
Anyway, a young bloke said to me, Dad, you know what? He said, um, this, we've got to take a negative and turn into a positive. And I'm like, yeah, good luck with that, cover." Anyway, <laughs> he said, no, look, he said, if we were driving right now, he said, we'd be somewhere between Rockhampton and, and Serena if we'd done those miles. And he said, we'd be 700 k's from nowhere in the middle of the Bruce Highway. And that's, you know, the Bruce Highway is a bad road at best of times, you know? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. You sort of take a negative and turn into a positive herb. So it could have been different. And if I had broken that at 100 k's an hour, well, who knows oh. what more. Yeah, so, you hate to think about that. But I remember so- we, uh, same thing, a guy, I think I've told you, Herb, that I was in Alice Springs and I was doing a talk at a school. And I did a talk and uh, I spoke to the teacher afterwards and she said, oh, I said, oh, what are you doing now? She goes, you wouldn't believe it. My husband, this is in Alice Springs, her husband had broken down coming out of Borrula, exactly the same, broken his axle on the boat. She goes, I've got to drive up there. There's no other way of getting him home. I've got to take an axle and then they've yeah. got to fix it. And then, and I said, well, you wouldn't believe it. I'm going to Borrula right now. As soon as I finish this school talk, I am going to Borrula. Yeah. I'll take it for you. And she goes, well, yeah, that's good. But how are you going to find him? I said, well, he's going to be the only bloke on the side of the road with a boat. We're <laughs> 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 waving. So I dropped it off to him. We sat there, drank half a dozen stubbies and yeah, helped him fix it. And we moved on. It was fantastic. You know, some of them things, like you say, turn negative into a point. We had a spring go once, and we were at Double Island Point, and we had a spring go on the trailer, so the axles actually come away, the spring's gone. We, uh, in our ingenuity and a bit of bush mechanics, we went and chopped down a decent-sized log, probably, you know, as round as your leg. We went from one bracket of the trailer to the other, had the axle underneath it, and we used telecom rope to tie that log to the trailer, both ends, and the axle to the log, and that log uh, served as a spring on that trailer for eight months. Really? Yep. Oh, brilliant. So there are ways to get you out of it. But yeah, yeah, devastating when stuff like that yeah. happens. And this is why we, we try and promote a bit of maintenance. You take it easy and uh, stay safe on the water. Great chatting, fellas, and um, thanks for time. Well, that's enough about me, Spider. We've, we've done all we can talk about me today. <laughs> but the most exciting thing is next week we're going to delve in to the one, the great, the only, Peter. Spider Everett, the greatest footballer who ever graced the field, and we're going to delve into your fishing lifestyle, what you love about it, what you've done and what you've caught. I'm looking forward to this chat. Stay safe and get onto the Lister app to make sure you listen to this chat because it's a bloody thing. Over.